Chapter 10 of Chinook, The Cinnamon Cub This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Bourgeois-Doyle, Chinook, The Cinnamon Cub, by Alan Chaffee. Chapter 10, A Live Snowball the day after they visited Rat Town, Mother Bear led the cubs high above the surrounding mountain slopes, where a sandy meadow stretched to the foot of snow-clad Lookout Peak. This 11,000-foot sky meadow was a riot of wild flowers. Yellow mimulas and purple pussypaws carpeted the ground beneath their feet, while snowy slopes, blue in the cloud shadows, towered the summit or swept in a long slope to the spruce woods lying dark green beneath them. The air was as fresh as a drink from a snow-fed river. What amazed the cubs was that great swarms of red and black butterflies danced above them. Snooky and Chinook had a gay time trying to catch them, where the purple and white honey lupin sat their nose wriggling, the butterflies danced in a cloud. Mother Bear was amazed to see butterflies in this chill altitude, for though she had been a great traveler, she had always before found them down in the warm meadows where the bees gathered the honey that she loved. She did not know that these butterflies were migrating south for the winter, but they had not come all this way to chase butterflies. What Mother Bear liked best about the summer snowfields was that here she often found whole swarms of frozen grasshoppers. To hunt for this delicacy, she now called the cubs to the foot of the nearest snowbank, while she dug and sniffed and feasted. They lapped the strange white stuff that felt so cold. Then Snooky fell down and rolled head over heels, and to Chinook's surprise, the half-melted snow clung to her till she looked like a little white bear instead of a cinnamon cub. The next thing Mother Bear knew, the cubs were climbing the steep snowbanks for the sake of coasting down. Sometimes they sat with feet straight out in front of them, but oftener they threw themselves down flat on their stomachs and did it belly bumps, over and over and over they tried it, while their mother searched for grasshoppers, till she really began to worry for fear they might wear all their fur off. They never forgot the fun they had on their first snow slide. Now Schnook little dreamed that the ranger's boy who had passed them one day was right down there in the fir woods, whose pointed spires he could see from an overhanging ledge. Nor did the boy dream that the roguish little bear was also off on a camping trip. Chinook, having found the snow harder on the northern slope and easier to slide on, had started off with a sturdy shove of his boy-like hind feet and had set himself going so far and so fast that he couldn't stop. On the warm western slope, the snowbank soon came to a stop, and there Snooky was content to coast while her mother nosed about for frozen grasshoppers. But on the northern side, it sloped in an unbroken expanse of hard white that glittered in the reddening sunlight, and never stopped until it had reached in a long tongue down the gulch into the fir woods. What's that? exclaimed the ranger's boy, as he and his father peered at a small black object darting over the snowfield. But it went so fast that they couldn't make out what was coming. 
Now the snow up above, where the chill winds blew, was crusted hard and firm, and the little bear, for it was he, just skimmed along as if he were on ice. But down in the gulch where the snow ran into the fir woods, the top few inches had partly melted till it was just sticky and clung to the feet like plaster. As Chinook reached the level stretch and tried to get to all fours, he only succeeded in turning head over heels with the momentum of his long slide. The next thing he knew, the soft snow began sticking to him, inches deep, till, by the time he had stopped rolling and come to a standstill, the boy would have taken him for a mammoth snowball if he hadn't seen him coming. Dad, I want that cup, he shouted, stripping off his coat as he ran, but clinging to the coiled lead rope he had on his arm. Leave him alone, warned his father who was leading the pack horse, but the boy had already thrown his coat over the struggling snowball, and the ranger raced to his assistance. Five minutes later, a man and a boy, both scratched and bleeding but completely triumphant, had a small and frightened and very angry little bear on one end of the lead rope, with the other end tied to a fir tree. Now watch me make friends with him, the boy exulted, running to the cabin for something to feed his unexpected guest. I'll watch, his father laughed, starting after the pack horse. The boy searched the cabin hastily. There on the top shelf stood a tightly lidded tin pail of brown sugar that the dampness had converted into one great lump. Chipping off a pocket full of hard lumps, the boy returned to where the little bear chafed and struggled at the end of his leash. Had they not known just how to tie the knot, he would have choked himself. He was just beginning to gnaw on the rope when the boy threw him a great hard lump of the sugar. Then he went around the corner of the cabin and peeked to see what would happen. Chinook, finding the woods as silent as if he were the only living thing about, paused in his chewing to wriggle his nose at the delicious-smelling tidbit, and suddenly he realized that he was famished. What could it be, he asked himself. Not wild honey, but something almost as good. After all, he found himself unhurt, and if that boy came again, he thought he could hold his own in a tussle. Gingerly, he reached forth a snowy paw to draw the goody nearer. Then he licked the brown lump with an inquiring pink tongue. Um, never in all his short life had he tasted anything better. Bears have a great sweet tooth. He crunched it delightedly. Now began an experiment that the boy had performed with other wild folk. Would the cub be too frightened to respond? Stepping quietly into view, he held out a great handful of the tempting lumps, and the little bear sniffed longingly. But at the same time, he eyed the blue overalled biped with not a little suspicion. He remembered, however, that it was the same boy who had passed them once before, and who had not harmed him. But then Mother Bear had taught him to be wary of what he did not understand. By and by, the boy threw him another lump of sugar. That was a language he did understand. Chinook snapped it up, and his mouth watered for more. He could smell that the boy had more to give him. Softly, slowly, and ever so unalarmingly, the boy came a few steps nearer, holding out the sweets, the cub watching intently. It took quite a while, for the little bear had to focus his mind so wholeheartedly on the feast before him as to forget those amazing moments when boy and ranger had thrown their coats over his head and forepaws and knotted the rope around his neck. 
But, after all, Chinook had never in all his life received a hurt, and his mother was not there to sound her suspicions. Why not consider the boy a friend? In the stillness of the mountain twilight, the miracle was accomplished, and the furry woods boy allowed the human boy to feed him. Then from behind a fallen log, not two stones throw distant, the boy saw the massive head and shoulders of Mother Brown Bear. That might be a different story. His father saw her too, for from the high little cabin window he called, Quick, inside! Out, he drew his revolver, in case the alarmed mother should think it necessary to demolish the cub's abductor. But the boy ran indoors, and then both watched from the window. Ah, it's all right. Chinook assured his mother, and she could tell from one sniff of his sugary face that he had been faring well, for she was still so nervous at having found him gone, and so angry at the thought that he had been captured, that after nuzzling him all over to make sure no bones were broken, she only grunted a harsh come on to hide her fear, and led the way rapidly back into the woods where Snooky waited. But Chinook was brought up so abruptly by his tether that his feet slid out from under him. Could I cut him loose? whispered the boy. No need, smiled his father. For even as they spoke, Mother Brown Bear came back to gnaw furiously at the rope, and in a moment the little bear was free. Now he'll wear a collar, laughed the boy. Don't you believe it? His mother will have the rest of that rope off in no time, the ranger reassured him. Isn't it a shame we couldn't be friends, that little bear and I? You could, if this were a national park where bears are never hunted. End of chapter 10